I could know if she wasn't saying like I have a tiny pecker or something like that. <laughs> oh, Shout I don't out, think I learned you. that in school. <laughs> That's what like the you? first thing I learned how to say in any language of another it's country. Tiny penis. Yeah. <laughs> In Chinese, it's Shao Didi, I believe, little brother. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if if you want to tell a Chinese guy it's a little he's he's underperforming, it's Shao Didi. All right, I'll keep that in the in the small in the corners of my brain. <laughs> Not the small corners. Of no. Brain. Welcome back to Comes With Baggage. Uh, this is Caitlin. And this is CWB. <laughs> well, the, the podcast is CWB. And I am also CWB, Chris Walker-Bush. His name is Chris. Yeah, but I go by CWB and it, it fits now that the podcast is also CWB. <laughs> it's like it was meant to be. both things. You're going to confuse people. <laughs> All right, then I am Chris. Let's go by Chris. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's a lovely sunny day here in California. Uh, Finally. My last my last week here before I hit the road for my big road trip. I know. That's super exciting. When do you guys leave? Uh, like Wednesday of next week, we're heading out to, what are we doing? San Diego, Vegas, the Grand Canyon, and Joshua Tree. And then I'm flying off to uh, China after that. Nice. I mean, when yeah. this eventually comes out i mean obviously we're recording a few episodes before we launch so when this comes out you'll have embarked on this road trip and we'll definitely touch base on it. yeah i think i'll have already uh i'll already be in my next country by the time (laughs) this airs in which case i will tell everyone how great this trip was (laughs) hopefully hopefully it's great i mean i I have confidence i planned it so well you're doing this trip with your family right yeah, so my bachelor party is in vegas so my two of my brothers are flying over with their partners and so the six of us are piling into a minivan and we're going to do like a little two-week U.S. road trip. It's their first time here. Have you done a lot of traveling with your brothers before? Uh, yeah, twice. Uh, we did Fiji a few years ago and then the Philippines. And the usually it's me planning and they just hand me money. So hopefully <laughs> it works out this time around. It's, I'm two for two so far. Well, I mean, they like you know you're at least going to enjoy the trip if you plan the whole thing. <laughs> you get to do all the things well, you want to do. Yeah, I mean, my, it's always like a case of them just saying, Chris, can you plan the trip? And I'm like, okay, but if you don't have any requirements or requests or feedback for me, it's just going to be the trip I want to do. You don't get to complain. What's that? Like you tell, like I would tell, like you don't get to complain. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You don't get to complain. Here is your invoice. Send me this money and we're good. Yeah. So, I mean, it it works. Uh, They're they're, like my need to be in control and they're like, I don't want to say laziness, but they're like, they don't know the country we're going to as well as I do. So it's like for them, it's like, Hey, Chris can just do it. And it's a lot easier that way. Yeah. I mean, are they like researchers at all? Oh God. No, God, no. Yeah. So I find Uh, that like uh, people that like to research where they're going to would care more about the input, but if they don't care about researching where they're going and they're just along for the ride, then why not hand it over to someone that has more knowledge? Well, yeah, and I am a travel agent in my day job, so it kind of makes sense that I would be getting, I'd be good at, you know, hunting down good prices and stitching together itineraries. So, I mean, I don't mind. I enjoy it. It's a little stressful sort of when they're like, oh, but can you make it cheaper? Or, oh, we don't have, you know, enough time in this place. And it's that's where it gets a little bit fiddly. But again, that's the same as my day job. It's just yeah. that I don't get paid to do it for my brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I get to go on the trip. But you get so. to go with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, and you guys I like get to go on the safaris I plan, but I do get to go on this road trip. <laughs> you get like the you get to reap the reward. You get to have your cake and eat it too. I do, and I do like cake. So as <laughs> as anyone who's met me knows, I do like cake. 
Who doesn't like um, cake? I don't trust people that don't like cake. There's something wrong with them. Yeah. What about you? What's going on with you? I mean, not much since the last time we caught up, but uh, I actually was on the phone today with a friend. We actually met in New York, but she's Australian, of course, because nice. I only associate with Australians, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but her, she's married to a Brit, and um, they had moved back from New York to London. She's never lived there before because they met in Australia. They're trying to figure out the visa stuff. So, I mean, I don't really know the full gist of it. I just know that she's having a hell of a time with getting her marriage visa sorted there. And there's a lot of runarounds of like, you need to be in the country, but she's, I think she's waited a little bit to the last minute of her, whatever tourist visa or whatever she was on in the first place. So she Uh had to leave. So she's in Brussels right now while trying to do Uh. Uh, it's it's all I mean visas stuff has always been a pain in the ass and 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 marriage visas are especially difficult um it's confusing and you don't I think there's been some instances where the wrong paperwork's gotten filled out and then that just causes more headaches and so yeah it's frustrating and I just like it's for as someone that like really wants to marry someone foreign so I can live in another country permanently hearing (laughs) stories like this are kind of like oh do I really want to go through this yeah, my fiance, who we're interviewing today, um, her and I got the same issue trying to figure out whether we should get my get married in the U.S. and get U.S. residency for me, or get married in Australia and get Australian residency for her. Um, it turns out Australia is slightly easier, more expensive, but you don't have to spend three whole years stuck. Uh, in the country, which is what the U.S. wanted me to do. Just well, three years solid here. As a travel blogger, that kind of makes things yeah. a bit difficult. I mean, you can travel around the States, I guess. but Yeah, well, neither of us really wants to live in either country just yet. Like, we, yeah. we were just hoping that there'd be a visa you could get because you're married to the other person, but there isn't. There's just tourist visa or residence. Um, there's no, like, I married an American and I'd like to visit a few times a year visa. Yeah, that's annoying. I feel like there should be a visa like that. I feel like there should be because it's if you're just on the tourist visa and you say, hey, I'm here to visit my wife, and then they go, oh, well, how do we know you're not going to stay hey. here forever? Like, they can just turn you away at the border, which I find kind of weird. It's like, I'm being up front. Here's, you know, here's my wife. Here is our paperwork saying we are married. I feel like I'm being honest with you, so you should trust that I'm not going to sneak in here and hide in your country. Yeah. But, you know, that's not how immigration works. It's not a case-by-case thing. No. Usually it's it's a blanket rule that they then – tinker with for well in australia they 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 break the rule for au pairs uh, a lot if they're au pairs for government members oh geez yeah um so yeah i mean i don't i don't know what's gonna happen they might in the end have to luckily he's got dual citizenship in australia and she's australian so worst comes to worst they both move back to australia and it's not a bad worst case. It's not no. like worst it's comes not, to work, I mean, they have to move back to Liberia. It's like, oh, no, Australia's yeah. not bad. I mean, she's never been to Europe, though. Like, this is her first time experiencing all this, so. Oh, and she's doing it on her own because she can't get into the UK. <laughs> exactly. He's there working, and she's just, um, she's in Brussels with his sister and oh. kind of just hanging out and arguing with the UK government. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say arguing with the sister. No, 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 no. No, they get along, my God. No, arguing (laughs) with the UK government, running around in circles trying to get this done. So, yeah, that's that's what's going on in the travel world of my life. Other people's problems. (laughs) Well, that kind of segues nicely into into today's guest, though, because we're talking about uh, marriage visas and all that immigration nonsense. And as I said, I'm marrying an American, and uh, she's our guest today. So she wants to – we'll talk mostly about – 
travel in Asia and teaching abroad because her blog is Adventures Around Asia and that's kind of her thing. But there's a segue there. You know, we went from someone else's marriage visa problems to my marriage visa problems <laughs> to the person I'm marrying. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. You guys I don't haven't know. spoken before either, so this is kind of like the first time you'll e-meet. I know. We've. Oh, I mean, it's fitting considering you and I kind of became friends over the internet anyways. Um, this <laughs> is how I meet your future wife. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure at some point we'll be on the same continent at the same time in the same rough area and you can do a formal a formal handshake introduction. It'll be really funny if that ends up being just your wedding. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> you're our save. I don't know if you've got it yet, but your save the date is in the mail. So I don't think I have. Soon. It's a postcard, so it's it's nothing fancy for the save the date. Oh, no, I'll be keep. That's appropriate, though. I'll be keeping an eye out for it, but I have not received it yet. Oh, well. Um, yeah. Cool. No, I'm super excited to chat with her. And I don't really know. I mean, as we've talked about, like, I've, I've never been to Asia. So I, there's a lot I'm going to learn from this That still blows my mind. Like, not even a little bit. You've never, like, you haven't stepped onto the continent at all? Um, well, no. I had a really bad experience flying back from Australia to London via uh, Indonesia. Oh, what happened there? We can get into in another episode. (laughs) It's a long story. Um. If that's any incentive for anybody listening to to keep listening to our episodes, I've got a good story (laughs) that I'll eventually discuss. Uh, I was going to say for the interview portion of things, uh, I might let uh, Kate lead the interview because Rochelle and I have been together three years. We're we're engaged to be married. So I've heard most of her stories like two, three times. So... um, I'll let you ask the questions and I'll just jump in with, with amusing anecdotes because I feel like I already know everything. There's nothing else I need to know. I've got it all down. Great. Yeah, I'm stoked. All right, let's bring her in. So we are here with my better half, Rochelle, from Adventures Around Asia. Hi, um, Rochelle. Hi, nice to meet you. We're going to have a chat today about teach abroad, uh, travel in China, travel in Asia, and what it's like to be married to an Australian Adonis. (laughs) Who's that? Is there another husband coming I don't know about? (laughs) Yeah, I've got a couple of them lying around. Uh, Yeah, she's been watching The Bachelor, so she seems to think now that that romance requires 30 men professing their love for you. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Exactly. That sounds good to me. This is Rochelle. Say hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Rochelle. <laughs> and you have a blog, right? You're a travel blogger. Yeah, so I have a travel blog called Adventures Around Asia, where I write about Asia off the beaten path. And I also recently founded a course on teaching abroad in China called Teach Abroad Squad. So that's my the two main things oh, that I've really been working on. I love that name. That name's awesome. (laughs) I love anything that rhymes. I love it. Alliteration, rhyming. It's got to be catchy, right? Yeah, like it's it's got a community, right? It's not just an online course. It's a course and community. So we're part of the squad. And you did have you did have one guy though who hated the word squad so much. He he was interested in the course and that was that was it for him. He oh, like, he oh. hated it so much he had to send me like a personal email being like, I really wanted to join your course, but the name is so atrocious, I just can't. What? <laughs> I was like, Oh well I think he associates squad with like a group of girls. Like, hashtag like... squad goal. Oh god. <laughs> I'm like, look, dude, like, it's really not a big deal. No wonder all my course takers are women. Actually, yeah. no, there's one guy. So. I think it was too much for his fragile masculinity to be in a squad. He's like, no, yeah. I can't handle it. Also, like, to actually, like, go out of your way to take the time to tell someone that's why you don't want to, like, just don't sign up. 
people have too much time on their hands. Get a job. Yeah. <laughs> They're angry, all right? And they need other people. Well, that's to what know. he's trying to do, right? He's trying to get a job in China. It's just not with you. Not, not with me. Not hard <laughs> enough. So my first question for you, because I mean, this is the first time that we're really meeting and chatting and like, this is going to be the first time that any of our listeners are meeting you. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself. When did you start traveling? Where are you from? All of that little spiel. So I'm originally from Seattle in the US. um, And I originally started traveling with my family decently young. It's kind of a funny story. We were supposed to go to Disney World, which from Seattle is very far. So I was super excited. Um, But the plane was overbooked and they were giving away insane amounts of miles if you would wait till the next day to go. And my parents were like, well, we're going to get in the the evening anyway. So like, why not wait? Yeah. So it was, but of course I started crying because I just thought we weren't going to go to Disney World. (laughs) Um, Don't take my dream away from me. No, I want to see Mickey. Um, But my, uh, my parents realized like, hey, that's with the four of us, that's almost enough miles to get us to Europe. So wouldn't that be cool if we did that? So my parents, uh, we we planned a trip to Europe, I think when I was in fourth grade, and my parents realized that travel can actually be affordable internationally, Mm -hmm. Um, especially this is pre-Euro, and they were really into Rick Steves, who I think you guys mentioned is actually from my small town near Seattle. Kate Kate knows his son, is that right? Yeah, I am, like, not super, super well, but um, I've got some, yeah, I met, his son Andy Steves in Prague because he does um he has a company called World Student Adventures I think it's called he does for study abroad students like weekend trips around Europe and stuff like that so So I used to see him in Prague all the time because he worked with the company that I worked with he must have grown up like a few blocks over from me pretty much because his uh their office is like walking distance from my house oh really yeah yeah So yeah, that was, that's when we started traveling. Like every few years, my family would go to Europe or something. Um, I eventually kind of convinced them to branch out into Egypt. And But I, I've always really been interested in Asia, spe- well, specifically China and, and Egypt were the two countries I was obsessed with when I was younger. But just I was really interested in Asia and I never had the chance to go. So I studied Chinese in college with the, the intention of studying abroad in China. Like I didn't actually want to know Chinese like for business purposes, I just mm-hmm. wanted to be able to study abroad in China. <laughs> so I'm, um, I forced myself to learn Chinese and study abroad in China. And I love that experience so much that right after graduation, I was like, I'm moving back. I'm getting a job teaching English. And I've kind of been living abroad ever since. Do you yeah. speak Chinese? Yeah, I, I minored in it in college. So I studied it all through school. Like pretty fluently? Um, I'm like conversationally fluent. So Ask her I, I to say something, Kate. Ask her to say something. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to ask you to say. Uh, like, say, um, my name is Rochelle and my husband is tall, rich and handsome. <laughs> uh, 我叫江兰,我的丈夫是高富帅. <laughs> but my Chinese name is Jianglan because Rochelle is too hard to pronounce. That'll be hilarious if anyone listening that speaks Chinese like actually heard you say that, but you did not say tall, rich, and handsome. She, I, you I, described I, Chris I, as something else. Oh, <laughs> no, my Chinese is my Chinese is terrible, but I know Gal Fushui is tall, rich, and handsome. Uh, so she definitely she definitely <laughs> said it. That's why I chose that. Damn it! So I, I could know if she wasn't she saying like me. I have a tiny pecker or something like that. <laughs> oh, Shout I don't out, think I learned that in school. <laughs> <laughs> That's what like the it? first thing I learned how to say in any language of another it's country. Tiny penis. Yeah. <laughs> In Chinese, it's Xiao Didi, I believe, little brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so if, if you want to tell a Chinese guy it's a little, he's, he's underperforming, it's Xiao Didi. All right, I'll keep that in the 
in the small in the corners of my brain. Not the small corners. Of no. Brain. Small things in small corners. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. So you graduated from school. You decided you wanted to move back there and teach English. Mm-hmm. So did you like? Did you go like get a TEFL? How did you? I I know a little bit about it from um, I got my TEFL when I was deciding to move to Prague. Um, so I know a little bit about like going through that process, but, um, how did you go about doing it? Well, uh, my first year teaching abroad in China was kind of a disaster. Um, I used a teach abroad program, which my university was talking about a lot about. I had some friends applying for it. Um, and also the woman who interviewed me through that program, she actually studied abroad on the same program as me. So I was like, this is going to be great. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they, they actually provided a free TEFL, um, an orientation. They were going to place you at schools together in cities. I actually went to their office in DC because that's where I was going to college. And it just seemed amazing, right? Like this is going to be great. You know, I thought the salary sounded a little bit low, but you know, they were going to do excursions and free Chinese classes. And I was super excited about it. Yeah. It's like and a then, whole package deal. Like everything yeah, just sounds yeah. great. And then slowly but surely I realized that this company just did not have it all together. Like they seemed very professional. And then um, I sort of realized, Hey, I'm the only one placed at my school, but I was every time, you know, things, things got a little weird. I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, I've been in China before. I speak Chinese. It, this is an adventure. It's not a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to be in Nanjing where Chris actually was living at the time. We so we couldn't Chinese actually. Met. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had friends in Nanjing. I was like, I want to go to Nanjing. Um, so I like completed my TEFL really fast to get my preferences in. Um, and then they placed me in Ningbo, which I'd never even heard of and was not on my preference sheet at all. And I know they didn't take my preferences into consideration because I was one of the very first people placed so they were just like here you go Ningbo and I was the only teacher the only foreign teacher at my school and it seemed kind of far from the other schools but you I was weren't like, really in Ningbo though like you were kind oh, of like we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> I was like you know it's gonna be fine it's gonna be good um so I actually arrived to Beijing um early like two months early and my plan was to hang out in Beijing I had some friends there then I sort of traveled around you know, to Tibet and Nepal. And I did like kind of a China trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was waiting for my visa paperwork because I was going to go to Hong Kong to get my visa and it just never came. So I'm I'm on a tourist visa and I'm about to start work. And How I long does don't... a tourist visa last in China? Um, it's it, it's uh, two or three months. Three months. Depending. Yeah, yeah. Okay. three months and then you have to leave and come back or, or get a new visa. Yeah. But it is, you know, it's illegal to work on a tourist visa. So some Absolutely. people do it. Like I taught under the table a little bit on a tourist and student visa. <clears throat> don't don't report me. Um, <laughs> I have to. Don't report me either. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm going back to China in a few weeks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I was just like, where's my visa paperwork, right? So I get to orientation and no one has their paperwork, actually. We're all on the wrong visas. The orientation was like kind of a huge mess. Like it was fun, but it was not very well planned at all. Is this orientation still through this company? Yes, through the company. Yeah. Um, And so then I get picked up in Shanghai and driven to Ningbo since it's only two hours away. And we're driving, driving, driving. And I'm like, okay, you know, where's the city? You know, it's going to be here soon. Mm-hmm. And then we just stop on this factory line highway in the middle of nowhere where I'm the only foreigner for miles, like just complete, like, I mean, yeah, surrounded by the school, surrounded by small factories that made like puffy coats. And I'm standing there like, what? And uh, yeah, so that was my school. And I was in the absolute middle of nowhere. The bus stopped running at 8 p.m. 
Um, I lived at the school. I was the only foreign teacher they'd ever had. And I was the only foreigner pretty much, yeah, for miles. So everyone that worked there was from there, like was Chinese. Yeah. And they all spoke like Ningbo dialect to each other because we were in kind of the countryside. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't even use my Mandarin (laughs) because it was a dialect. A lot of people don't know this about Chinese, but there's like Mandarin is obviously the most well-known language and then there's Cantonese. But then there are like hundreds of these, these Hua, these local dialects, Mm -hmm. like there's mm-hmm. Ningbo Hua, Nanjing Hua, Shanghai has Hua. Like, yeah. So people, you know, they all speak Mandarin and maybe Cantonese, and then they probably also speak their local version of Chinese, which might be completely indecipherable to, yeah. a, to a native yeah. speaker. Yeah. So people could understand me. I just couldn't understand them. So. I feel like this is almost like the fire festival of teaching, <laughs> teaching <laughs> um, English in China. Like... You have, it's like it, Michelle hasn't heard of the Fire Festival. It's got like eight documentaries on Netflix right now. Oh, um, you've never heard of it? No, it was like a massive festival. Uh, it was like it was Ja Rule or LL Cool J. No, ja Rule and this guy Billy Magnuson. Well, like real quick, just go over it. So, because like this, honestly, as you're telling me the story, I was like, this sounds like Fire Festival, and it was basically this like they wanted this music festival on this island in the Bahamas, and when they were advertising it, they were using all of these influencers online to like advertise it, and it was supposed to be this luxurious Coachella almost, but like super. Yeah, like, it was like $10,000 a ticket or something. Yeah, it was insane. Oh. And you would get these private villas and you'd be flown in on these planes and you'd get to party on yachts and all this stuff. And it turns out that it was just like this massive kind of scam and everything was poorly planned. So all these influencers and people started showing up and there's nothing set up. And it's like, just like these yeah. refugee like- white tents. There was People were like fighting over mattresses. Yeah. <laughs> you should watch the documentary. It's yeah, hilarious. It's Netflix has a documentary. Netflix and Hulu both have a doc. I've only seen the Hulu one, but you need to watch it. It's so funny. This guy, he's just a total fraud. It's ridiculous. But as you're telling me the story that like, it all sounds amazing. And then you get to orientation and no one has their visas yet. And then you're like stuck in the middle of nowhere on this job. Like it totally sounds like a fire festival. No, I mean, this this company, they weren't trying to take advantage. I think they were just like not prepared and they're, China and US offices had zero communication like when I called them and called them out on the fact that they told me I would be in a city with other teachers the Shanghai office was like we never told you that you know so like anytime I I asked them a question they were like who told you that you could have that but the worst part is my school wasn't even legally allowed to hire me like they weren't actually legally allowed to hire a foreign teacher that's why I couldn't get my visa stuff so they had me sign a contract for another school that I wasn't actually working for. That school was just doing them a favor. And then I thought it wasn't a big deal. I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. But then my friend was deported because her school did the same thing and the government found out. Oh so my God. they had to like hide me when people visited the school and <laughs> they like take out to movies and stuff and like hide me away from the campus. Rochelle R- 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 <laughs> let's go to see a movie today. But I have class. No, no, we're seeing a movie today. So <laughs> how... Can we go back yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> how long did you end up staying there and working there? Well, I like considered actually leaving, but I felt really guilty because of course, you know, I was 22 years old. They were like su- super excited. Um, my, my apartment wasn't ready when I moved in. So they had me in some random hotel for a while and they were like, we're buying you a washing machine. And of course I'm like, they're buying me a washing machine. Now I can't leave. And then they, um, they put this contract in front of my face and they're like, please sign this. And I'm like, okay, I need to look this over. And they're like, no, sign this now. So I just signed it. And I was like, you know what? I'll stay here. It'll be fine. 
I signed it and there was something in the contract that stated that if I wanted to leave early, I could owe my school up to 8,000 US dollars, which was my entire oh my salary God. for the entire year. Did I mention I was really underpaid? Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah God. <laughs> but it turns out like now I know I probably could have gotten out of that because my contract wasn't legal right? yeah. it was, like, for another school. But I didn't know that at the time and I didn't calculate, like I didn't translate the RMB into US dollars. I just was like, yeah, okay. I, I owe them money if I want to leave early, so I'll just sign it. And then I did the math, and I was like, what? Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty standard to have a clause that if you leave early, you have to reimburse your flight there or yeah. certain or, expenses. Or but give not, them, like, two months' notice or yeah, something like that. But Not your entire contract's worth. Yeah, so if I wanted to leave, I'd have to leave China. But that was, that was like, totally against my... My, my goal was, okay, I want to have, like, a fun China year as an expat because my study abroad um, time in China, I spent the entire time studying Chinese and I was mm-hmm. kind of stressed out. So I was like, yeah, I want to be, I want to like a fun expat year in China. And if I left, I would have had to have left China um, because of that clause in my contract. I couldn't just switch to another school uh, without, you know, because I wasn't teaching legally and then there was that clause in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did apply for some jobs back home and I didn't get any of them. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, so I can either just go home with no job or I can stay here and finish this out. And when I decided to stay, then my whole year turned around a bit because I had, I had decided because before I kind of felt like the victim, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I felt like I'd been lied to and this wasn't fair. And kind of pushed in, into a situation that you weren't exactly, it wasn't your ideal situation. You were kind of pushed into it. Yeah. And, and I was so jealous of some of the other teachers, like the ones that did end up in Nanjing or the other teachers in downtown Ningbo. I was really jealous of them. And, you know, it's hard to like hang out and have fun with people when you're jealous of them the entire time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was really, it was not a good situation. And so when I decided to stay after the, you know, Chinese New Year break in the second half of the year, it really turned things around. And I think too, when the weather started getting a bit warmer and I started to notice how like pretty my town could actually be in like a weird, grimy, factory type way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I started noticing things. Are you sure you just weren't going like... (laughs) I I was going to say, like, you have Stockholm Syndrome now. Once I got off my factory highway and into the back streets and saw little rivers going through all these tiny little shops and stuff, um, you know, it really, I noticed that, um, you know, that that there were some great things about living where I was and I was really getting a unique experience and, you know, hey, it makes you I'll say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I actually figured it out in the future. I didn't stay at jobs like that. Well, and... You, did you, like, make f- local friends and stuff like that? And... Yeah, I had some teacher friends at my school. You had assigned teacher friends, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'll get to that. So, yeah, I was friends with some of the English teachers at my school because, like, they we'd speak English. They spoke English, yeah. Yeah. And um, they would, like, invite me to their houses to have dinner and play with their one child. And, um, you know, it was pretty fun. And then after about, you know, halfway through or two-thirds of the way through – people kind of stopped hanging out with me and I thought it was weird. And then I, I figured out that these teachers were assigned to be friends with me. Like they had like two weeks where they were assigned <laughs> to be my friend because one of the teachers, he drove me nuts. He would, um, he came up to me and he was like, hi Rochelle, I'm really busy this week. Can we hang out next week? And I was like, sure. Had you ever spoken to him before? Yeah. No, I mean, I had, but he, he'd only ever spoke, spoken to me to annoy me and give me extra jobs to do. 
Um, and not in the interest of befriending you. No, no. Um, and so he, I was just like, I guess we can hang out next week. And he's like, yeah, well, this week's my week. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, this week's my week to show you around. <laughs> and I had no idea they'd all been assigned to hang out with me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Some of them were, like, actually my friends, though. Like, we would go and get um, lunch and stuff or dinner after work. But but all the other teachers had been assigned to hang out. That's I not, like, like a good feeling to have either. <laughs> like... I like the idea that there's just a roster in the break room where it's just, like, <laughs> Rochelle duty. And it's just every week someone's assigned and you're like, oh, but I've got plans this week. Can I swap with you? Can you take Rochelle for two weeks? <laughs> it's like Rochelle sitting. Puppy sitting. They Rochelle got, like, sitting. They like, a free English class for their two-year-olds out of it, though. Because uh. they'd, like, cook me dinner and then I'd play you... with the two-year-olds. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, that is ridiculous. Whoops. Um, <laughs> so what was next for you then? Like, did you stay for a year? Is that how long you, like one yeah. school year? I dated out my yeah school year contract. So I finished up in June, I think. Oh wait, and then... real quick. I had one question that I forgot that I thought of. Like, what is your family thinking about this as you were going through all of this? Like, were you telling them all of this stuff or were you kind of keeping it to yourself? Or... There are a lot, of, a lot of weeping phone conversations. Well, the first day when I was dropped off, I, I had to wait until it was morning in the US. I had to wait till the evening. And it's of course, it's pouring down rain when I get dropped off at the school. And they're like, your apartment's not ready. Here, stay in this dingy hotel. And here's some money for dinner. Bye. And You're like, this is where I get murdered. <laughs> and they were like, across the street, Sichuan food. You said you like spicy food. Here's like, whatever, $6. Go have dinner. Um, and so I, I brought the food back to my room because I just couldn't deal with talking to anyone. Yeah. And I, I didn't think that I could have culture shock anymore in China. I was like, it's impossible now. I've been... I've been to Tibet and Xinjiang and I've lived in China by myself and I've traveled around. Like, how could I possibly have culture shock? But then I just freaked out. I started crying. I finally was able to call my mom who she was like, call the U.S. office. We'll figure something out. And the U.S. office was actually pretty helpful. And they, they were totally on my side and said, call the Shanghai office. So the next day I called the Shanghai office. They didn't care. Yeah. They were like, they <laughs> well, they were like, the yeah. ones that got you in the situation in the first yeah. place. <laughs> like, we never promised you any of that. And I'm like, actually, that's not true. But that's pretty um, classic China too. that yeah. whole, like just you arrive and you just left on your own. Like I remember arriving for my first day teaching in, in Nanjing and they literally were like, there's a bakery across the road. We'll see you in two days. And then that was it. And I was like, uh, what? Like, <laughs> Bye. They, they don't ease you in. It's like sink or swim. It's just like, here you go. You're in a country. Go. Yeah. I, I didn't even need to be eased in. That was the thing. Like, because I had been into China before you know, I, I made my way to orientation by myself from the train station. You know, like I didn't need like help, if that makes sense. But when I was in a rural area where there's just a bus and I have no idea where it goes because the bus is just only in Chinese characters and I'm just in the middle of nowhere. Like that's I was like, hey, if I had to be here for three months, fine. But an entire year, like that was not. This is how like horror movies start of just like yeah. dropping. <laughs> Chinese Wolf Creek. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, I figured it out. Like, well, that, that was the thing. I I told my parents a little bit about what was going on, but mostly I kept it to myself because I was so adamant about going back to China. I didn't want anybody to think that I'd like failed. If that makes sense. Yeah, or be so, like, you're making a mistake. Come back or like talk you out of it. And a lot of my friends too. Like, I kind of 
not stopped talking to my friends, but I didn't open up to my friends back home very much because they'd always be like, how is China? You know, your photos look so exciting. That's so cool. And I just kind of kept it to myself, like how I was feeling. Yeah. And then um, eventually I realized that travel blogs were a thing because I didn't know that was a thing before. I'd only read like those crappy study abroad blogs, AKA what I had. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start writing because at this point I was watching a lot of TV and drinking a lot of wine because there was nothing to do in the evenings except that. Um, And I was like, you know, I'm going to open up about how I'm feeling on my blog. Uh And it was much easier for me to write about how I was feeling than to Skype with a friend back home, because I didn't want to, like, cry in front of anybody or tell them that my China time was, like, not what I thought it was going to be, you know, because everybody thought what I was doing was so cool. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to tell anybody how I was feeling, if that made sense. Yeah, and feel like a failure, like... And like writing was cathartic. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, and it's like therapy, getting it all out there. And also when you, you don't want, I, I don't know, when I had gone through some experiences like that, where it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be like, or what I told people or what they imagined it was going to be like, and they can't relate either. It's mm-hmm. not really helpful. <laughs> so like, if you're just, if they're like, yeah, it looks amazing. Like, are you having the best time? And also they expect, like, they just want to hear that you're having fun. They don't want to hear the hard and shit it's not that you're going through. It's yeah. Not, yeah. I mean, that's social media for you. Like, no one wants me to post pictures of me just doing laundry. Yeah. It's sort of like um, when I was working as a college counselor in Beijing. I worked there for, like, two years. And that was actually a good job. So I did, you know, eventually figure out how to get a good job. Yeah. Um, but I was working a desk job. And then I would have, you know, vacation days. Or on the weekends, I'd go out and do stuff. And then I'd take all these photos. And I'd upload them to Facebook and my blog and my Instagram And people would say to me all the time, you know, people thought on Instagram that I was a full-time traveler. Yeah. People would say to me all the time, they're like, gosh, do you even work? Like, (laughs) your life just looks so cool. And like, look at you going to the Great Wall every weekend. And I'm like, (laughs) it's all an illusion. I'm like, I take a lot of photos, okay? Like, or I would do things like I would wander around my Hutong neighborhood in Beijing because I... There was, like, a, a time there where I just, like, didn't have a lot of friends. Like, yeah. my friends just all left, so I had no friends. So I would just wander. And they, didn't wander. A, they hadn't got together a new roster yet. Yeah. <laughs> no roster for hanging out with me. Um, but I would, like, wander around my Hutong neighborhood taking cool photos and, like, Snapchatting my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought that, it, like, that I was going on all these adventures and doing this and doing that. But really, it was just a weird hobby that I had because I had no friends. And, You're just like, I'm just in my fact. backyard, basically. <laughs> And fun fact, watching those Snapchats is where I kind of started to get a crush on, on, on Rochelle. I used to watch her Snapchat and be like, she's cute. Yeah. <laughs> and look, like, at all the, look at all these like cool adventures she's going on. I know. Well, and then I remember once she was in Hong Kong and she was like walking along, I don't know, some part of Hong Kong. And there were these shirtless Hong Kongers running by. And I remember she was like, you know, giving like saucy eyes to the camera. Like, oh, look how hot these guys are. And I remember being like, damn it, she's into... She's into Asian guys. I'm like the opposite to an Asian guy. I just thought it would be funny to catcall them on Snapchat. They're all handsome and toned, and I'm like, I just went bound to go wow, wow, and I zoomed in on them as they were running. Uh, So things, like, turned around for you, I'm assuming. You You still... Quite a few years after that. Yeah, you yeah, still like it there. So it wasn't all, like, it turned around for you and got better. Yeah, and it's it's not even, like, I hate, you know, the, the thing about that story is that I don't want people to think that every job in China is like that or that, you know, these... Um, these jobs are out to get you or it's going to be like that experience for everyone because there are really good jobs out there. 
<clears throat> that's why I ended up creating my course um, because people are just coming to me and coming to me with all these questions. So I started writing blog posts and I, I made like a little email mini course and I made a Facebook group and I, I like couldn't keep up with the demand of people, you know, asking me for help and guidance because, you know, it's hard to know who to trust when everyone's kind of making money off of you or getting something out of you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, these programs, I'm really not a fan of teach abroad programs, not just mine, but like programs in general, mm -hmm. because they really like, they suck you into the whole program idea. Like they accept you to the program and then you're in this Facebook group and you make all these friends and then they give you your placement at the absolute last second. And it's like, take it or leave it kind mm -hmm. of thing, but you're already invested and you don't want to be, you don't want to seem sort of uptight or like, no, I want it to be in this city. You're like, yeah, it's all an adventure. It sounds yeah. kind of cultish. Yeah, basically. I mean, and there are, even if you're not in a teaching program, a lot of those like chain schools, like uh, Happy Giraffe, things like that, they, they, they do a similar thing where they, they have you all do your orientation together and you're all Facebook friends and you hang out and then you get sent out to your schools and there's kind of this one of us, one of us, like where when they're together, they talk about how much they love their job, but then you get people alone at the bar and they're like, oh God, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. But then their boss walks in or like a coworker walks in and like, yeah, Happy Giraffe for life. It, it gets a, a happy draft's not happy draft's not real it's just, uh, uh, i'm using that because i don't want to use uh, a real oh okay i was like i've never heard of this <laughs> no no happy I mean, draft is what like a a reddit joke yeah it's like a reddit joke oh okay every, like but every training them, center is happy giraffe. yeah all gotcha. of these schools have names like happy giraffe or yeah you know, baby's first step or yeah, yeah. Eagle. they're just nonsense names that they think sound cool yeah i mean works. i remember like so I remember when I got mine, I just found a random course online just to get certified. Like, I was like, I'm just going to do this myself. I, I've always had a big issue with paying more money than I need to because I would rather use that money for traveling and being like, I'm competent enough to figure this out on my own. And it is always easy to go that way. Like, no, sometimes it's a lot harder. <laughs> but like, I remember I just did it online found a course, got my TEFL for certificate, and then I just moved to Prague on my own. Like, just booked a flight, had never been there before, didn't know anyone, and just started looking for jobs. And But I had friends that I knew over there that I met that were also English teachers, and they did the whole course thing. But they did it there knowing that they wanted to work in Prague, so they did the course in Prague. Because it's then thousand dollars to get it or something. I'm but yeah, it was a lot yeah. more money. It was like a Celta or something. No, um, no, like even on the ground Teffels. Really? Not not because Celta for those of you who those of you who don't know, it's a uh, like University of Cambridge branded Teffel, so it's like the best Teffel. Yeah. But even a regular on the ground Teffel can be at least two thousand five hundred US dollars. Which is why I remember just doing. I'm like, I'm just gonna do it online, and because I there was <laughs> yeah. the pros and cons. Like I was tempted to do it when I got there because I was like I'll meet people that'll also be living there because I don't like I'm gonna move there and not know anyone so like it's a way to meet other people going through the same thing and you'll bond over this experience um which turns out I didn't need that so it's a good thing I didn't spend the money on that people will do <laughs> anything to get that community I mean that's why I created my course because I'm like you shouldn't have to spend three grand or miss out on I did the math for a webinar recently. I missed out on like seven grand by doing a teach broad program as, as opposed to if I just found a job myself. Yeah. So like you don't need to spend three grand or miss out on like seven grand just for a community. And yeah. and, a, and a TEFL, I thought TEFLs were $3,000. That's why I signed up for my, that teach abroad program. Like people, 
people try to get stuff for free and waste and miss out on a ton of money or they pay thousands of dollars just to have that community set up for them. Yeah. I mean, I did mine like eight years ago, I think. I can't remember how much it was, but it definitely was not even close yeah. to even a thousand dollars. It you was... can do an online tefl for two fifty three. Yeah, I think mine was only yeah. a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but it was a struggle. I remember like arriving in Prague and looking for jobs, and it turned out teaching English for me wasn't the right like the right move for me. It's it's not for everyone. No. Um, but it's an experience, even if you even if it's not the right job for you long term. Oh, you know, absolutely. It's, like, it's, it's well, a cool experience to have for a year or two. That's a whole nother discussion as well. Like I probably should have just stuck with it because I would have been able to get my visa. Whereas I ended up taking a job at a bar who they also promised to help me with a visa. And then they were just drunk all the time and never did. <laughs> but that's a, <laughs> that's a whole nother learned experience. Um, and also being 22 and trusting like the word of a bar, like bar owner I was so much more trusting when I went to South Korea the first time I was like oh yeah no that sounds good you'll do that okay cool like you let a lot more fly before you get bitter and twisted yeah and I mean I absolutely don't regret that decision like I ended up not getting my visa which is what I wanted and my life would have taken a completely different path if I had and I would have probably stayed living in Prague for a lot longer but the ended up taking that job with that bar like the people that I met actually like I've been in weddings of the people that I worked with at that bar and like wow. yeah like they that the group that we had that we all lived and worked together we were all English like we were our apartment was like six of us from five different countries all English speaking so like Ireland England Australia Canada and America I think but we're all still such a close-knit group and, um, like I wouldn't trade that for the world. So I didn't get my visa and get to stay, but you know, life's supposed to happen the way it does. Exactly. Life happens. It's, it's like, I was joking with Rochelle the other day at dinner about what would you do if you woke up and it was like the first day of senior year of, of high school and you had to live through life all over again. Like, would you change anything? And, like, you, you start off thinking, yeah, I'd do this differently or I'd do this differently. Well, I but... started off being like, no. Well, yeah, that's true. Don't she was me. just like, no, 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 I don't want to do that again. <laughs> I just don't, yeah, I just don't want to relive it all again. I'd be like, like, you lose progress on the same game and you have to, like, start back from the beginning. I'd be like, no, I'd do better at university or I'd, I'd follow through on that thing I thought I was going to do. But then, of course, then you wouldn't meet the people you met and you wouldn't do the things you did. I mean, it's like the butterfly effect, even, like, changing one day might mean you don't meet that person who helped you meet that person who led you to that person. Or Absolutely. That you can't change anything. So it's like what you're saying is, you know, you could have done your TEFL and, and be in a teacher at the, the Prague equivalent to happy giraffe. But <laughs> yeah. you, you're at the place you're in now and you made lifelong friends and you've done weddings and it sounds like it worked out really well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so like, so I, I agree with you that like going through those big programs are not the ideal or I mean like what would be like the advice for someone that is interested in teaching in China take um, my course yeah. <laughs> yeah. beyond um, beyond that like yeah. if someone um, was just gonna do it you know today being like I look kind of well obviously do your research Especially like if you, if you are like going to take a course or something or go through a company, like do your due diligence. Yeah, I definitely have a few pieces of advice just off the top of my head. Um, 
My first one, I guess, would just not do a teach abroad program. That's my first Mm -hmm. piece of advice. Um, But definitely apply to multiple jobs. So many people, myself included, and Chris, apply to one job and go, this looks good, and then just take the job or apply to a teach abroad program and just take the job. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's, uh, people don't realize that the market in China is really, really, really good. Like they're desperate for good teachers over there. I think I found a statistic, I think it was 2016, the China Bureau of Education, I believe it was one uh, Chinese, the Chinese market needs 100,000 teachers in China, English, foreign English teachers, but they only have 30,000 legally recognized teachers in China. Oh, wow. And that doesn't include the people teaching illegally and that and whatnot, but still, like, what job market do you know that's like that? That's, yeah, yeah that's has such a strong need. Why. Like, they need you. And of course, you know, the best of the best schools are competitive because people realize that they're good and they want to work there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's insane. So just apply to a couple jobs, compare offers, you know, compare packages. You don't need to just apply to one job and take it. And so many people, they just apply to the one job or they apply to the one program and they accept positions that aren't exactly what they wanted. Like I, you know, I had studied abroad in China and traveled around and spoke some Chinese. I should have been able to get a really awesome job in Nanjing, no problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, instead, I used this teach abroad program, and I ended up underpaid on like a factory lined highway in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So, like, not ideal. Definitely, that's my my first tip. And my second tip is, it's sort of like what you said, Carl. You don't want to spend money because you you know you want to use that money for travel, mm-hmm. right? That makes sense. Um, but I tell people, don't try to get your TEFL for free because there's no such thing as free. And you're just going to waste a ton of money in the process. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, by using a teach abroad program, I got my TEFL for free, but I, you know, I said, I did the math on a webinar. I lost between five and $7,000 depending on like in terms of they they paid you less because they were Mm -hmm. taking the cost of the TEFL out of your, not just the cost of the TEFL. Like they are, they were just taking advantage. Yeah. Recruiters and teach abroad programs are paid for finding teachers for schools. Yeah. So they're paid for you to show up. And they also negotiated a deal with these schools where the schools could give us a lower salary. I mean, yeah. my school in the middle of nowhere wouldn't have never been able to hire a foreign teacher without the help of this program. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have been able to afford to pay me more than the $800 a month than they were paying me. They, they, they didn't have that money. Yeah. Um, but because my salary was so low, um, if I had applied on my own, just seeing what the going rate was, you know, I could have made an extra five to $7,000 per year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did all of that just to get a few things for free. The Chinese lessons never happened. The excursions (laughs) never happened. The orientation (laughs) wasn't very good. And my TEFL, I could have just gotten it online for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. So like, what what was I doing? Um, But yeah, so people do that or they'll do like those on the ground TEFL programs where you get your TEFL for free, but you work for free for like three months, but then you're just missing out on three months of salary. So my thoughts are pay the 300 bucks and then just get your TEFL online and then apply to a few jobs yourself. You know, maybe you apply to a few training centers and a recruiter and, you know, just be vocal about what you want. Don't get cornered into some underpaid job that you don't want because you think that that's all that's out there. And that's pretty much what your course covers, right? It's like, it's taking all the things you've learned and putting them into a way that people can digest it, where they can help them find the right job, help them find the right TEFL, help them learn how to be a good teacher and all of that as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it covers basically everything that the TEFL does. I mean, the TEFL kind of teaches you how to be a teacher, but it's not kind of. I wish there's a lot. I wish there's a lot more that, (laughs) 
Like it gives you all the tools. It gives you all the tools to being an English teacher, but I feel it like actually teach you how to manage a classroom. Yeah, no, or, or, or discipline, or, or how to design your own lesson plan. Like at least exactly stuff. And most temples aren't even country specific unless you pay like three grand and do it on the ground. Yeah. So my, I was like, temple covers this. Let me cover everything else. Mm-hmm. So I do have you know modules on like how to find a job. And, you know, how to analyze your contract to make sure you don't get screwed over. Surviving um, in China. Yeah, surviving in China. And also teaching, like, how to create a lesson plan, how to manage a classroom, what teaching to 50 students versus two students and different age ranges and how to teach to those. So basically, like, the TEFL covers, like, 10%, and then my course covers the other nine. Yeah, all the stuff that, I mean, any of us native English speakers like the TEFL's a breeze, but it's the actual moving there, knowing like how to pick a city that you want to go to, how to like accept a job, know what should be included, what shouldn't be included, what you should get paid, what's a scam, what's legit. Like all of that stuff is the stuff that you need help with. And there's only so much research you can do. So many articles online and you can do research for uh, one of my, my students, she said she was drowning in a sea of information. Yeah. Like, there's just so much information out there online and it's so hard to know who to trust because a lot of like articles are sponsored by companies like Happy Giraffe. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's very hard to know what's legit and, and what's not. And and then they're scattered and some are, some are five years old. Or I was going to say, yeah, outdated. And yeah, I mean, and I just have a question for China. Um, just cause I like people that are listening. Some, I know some countries you need your bachelor's. Some you don't. Is China one that you need your bachelor's to teach English? As a foreign yeah, language? if you want to teach legally, you need to be, you need to have your bachelor's and a TEFL or two years of teaching experience. There, there are some caveats there. Okay. Um, and then you need to be from one of seven quote unquote native speaker countries. So that's US, Canada, UK, Ireland, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you can teach under the table or not quite so legally. Um, So I have a lot of friends doing that. And as of now, they're not really cracking down on it too much. I only have- In the major cities, you get some problems like Shanghai and Beijing. There's Mm -hmm. been some raids where they deport people, but- But even then, like I only have ever heard of one person getting deported for teaching English um, like like friend of a friend mm-hmm. teaching English illegally. I mean, like, I knew none pe- of my friends have ever been deported. And I knew people who were Russian, uh, Brazilian, mm-hmm. Peruvian, and they're teaching English there. And I mean, some of them, their English was better than some of the native speakers who were illegally allowed to teach. But, yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's, as, as she said, there's so much demand for teachers there that companies are willing to risk the fine or the, the you getting deported to get anyone into a classroom. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, I mean, this is kind of an unfortunate thing but especially if you're white or even approaching white because really a lot of these schools the less reputable ones you're not there as a teacher as much as you're there as a marketing tool you know look we have uh alawa we have this foreigner who is very foreign and they are (laughs) teaching your child and they're like parents are like oh here have more money yeah yeah i think that's a big issue with the for-profit schools i actually recently wrote an article about this like about racism in the teacher abroad industry the best schools in china they want the most qualified teacher no matter what you look like like they they don't care my college counseling job was great it was a really high level job in china really high salary and we had all the colors of the rainbow teaching there mm-hmm. um, working there but the some of the yeah i guess to, to use happy draft as an example some of the happy draft-esque 
they're like for profit okay yeah yes and there there's this idea that that some chinese people have that you know english speakers are white like native english speakers are white and everybody who is not white is like everyone who's black is from africa and everybody who's asian must be chinese and therefore their english is not not as good and and i don't want to get too much into it but yeah um some of those schools, like the worst schools are the ones that would rather hire like a white person who can barely speak English like a white over Ukrainian. a qualified person who's not white. And those are schools that you would not want to work at anyway. Like and I would yes. never, ever recommend working at a school like that. Cause unless you are the said white Ukrainian who can't yeah, get a job. Yeah. Anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. China, um, and you, you're not an English speaker. Like that might be your only option, but, um, you know, ideally you wouldn't want to work at a school ever that would prioritize, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who's white over someone who's qualified. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so even if you are a non-native speaker, I wouldn't work for a school that would prioritize that you can actively see that they're prioritizing that. Um, but yeah, well, yeah. they don't sound like a very reputable place. <laughs> no. And it, you know that they'll put that that'll be the same school that will randomly throw you into a room that you're unprepared to teach and go, here's a book, teach this class. Parents yeah. are visiting, go, you know, like that, that, that kind of school and doesn't the, see you as a teacher. They see you as a marketing And yeah. the kind of school where you'll have a kid who is just hopeless at English and it's not their fault. They're not up to the, the level that you've got them in. So they, you know, you go to the, the, the principal, the head teacher and you're like, look, I think they're really struggling. I think we should put them in the next level down. And they're like, no, no, his parents want him in this class. Yeah. In fact, they want him in the next class up. And so you've got this poor kid crying because they can't do their homework. And you, there's no love, like there's no interest taken in the academics. And They're like, like give him more homework. Yeah. He'll be smarter. He will learn more if you just shout at him. <laughs> oh, God. Like I just feel for this that, kid now. <laughs> yeah. And That's that the, kid exists. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's like, they're everywhere. I had so many kids where I'd be like, they're not up to this standard. They're really struggling. They're miserable. And they'd be like, well, his, his parents have paid a, a quite a good amount of money, so we need to put him in the advanced class next. And you're like, no, no, he's not ready. Oh, God. And that's the thing, too, is, like, sometimes people think that training centers in China are not very good, and that's the for-profit schools that people go to, like, after school and on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I say it really depends on the training center. There are plenty of training centers, like what Chris described, where they're totally like that. Mm-hmm. And then there are, like, sort of high-level training centers, like the one I worked at, where te- where the parents would be like, yes, he must apply to Harvard and Yale and this and that. And, and the Chinese counselor would say, no, you know, he's not going to get in. We can pick one, yeah. but it's not, you know, he's not going to get in. He really belongs at a liberal arts college. Let's talk through this. You know, so it really depends on the training center. So the one that I worked for as like a, yeah, a college admissions consultant, they had like SAT, ACT, TOEFL, drama and debate in English um, AP US history, like those sorts of classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, and, your job was legit. Yeah, it was very legit. We were very well paid, had plenty of vacation days. I had my own like private office that was purple. It was a proper <laughs> like career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was. Like if I didn't have this dream to sort of travel the world and try working for myself, mm-hmm. um, I was getting kind of antsy being in an office. Yeah. If I didn't have that dream, I could have totally stayed there and made an actual career out of it. Um, yeah, that was going to be one of, in China for 10 years, you know? Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions is like, because I know a lot of people that get this idea in their mind to go teach in China um, mm-hmm. or teach anywhere as a like teach English is like, it's kind of a stepping stone to start traveling and things like that and to experience living in another country. But for the people that really enjoyed or really into it, 
like it is possible to make it a career and not just this like I'll do this for a few years and then I'll move home and start my real life, you know. Oh but yeah, it is if possible. you want to make it a career, it's very um, feasible. And especially living in Beijing, I met a lot of people who that was their career. Either they wanted to work in China or just teaching abroad in general, and they move from country to country. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that I would definitely recommend doing if you love teaching is um, I know I said that the Celta is the best TEFL and it's like it's thousands of dollars, like at least mm -hmm. three grand or something. Um, there's online and in person. But I would recommend saving your money. And instead of getting a Celta or, you know, like a really good TEFL, I would become a certified teacher in your home country. Mm -hmm. I had a, a few friends doing that online while living and working in Beijing. Um, you know, I had a friend who worked for a private school and he really wanted to work for a really nice, like good international school, like mm -hmm. international schools are the best jobs in China. Yeah. But in order for, to get a job there, you have to be a certified teacher in your home country or an equivalent. Like I had a friend who was American and was becoming a certified teacher for the UK system because the international school was UK based, mm -hmm. but, um, save your money, do that. And you can get a job in an international school. I had a friend, this isn't mainland China, but um, Onika, she's a, uh, I forget her blog's name, Onika the Traveler. Oh yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah. She was working in Hong Kong, making a hundred thousand US dollars a year as a French and math teacher. Oh wow. Or something. Yeah. So, I mean, that's Hong Kong. So I think Hong Kong pays a little bit better than mainland China, but still like, you know, she'd been working there for a couple of years as well, but you can make good money working at an international school. And then if you have kids, your kids can go to the international school for free or for a discounted rate. Like, mm -hmm. it's a great option. It's a really good idea, too, if you are from a country like Australia or the UK where university is both subsidized. And I don't know about the UK, but in Australia, it's done on, like, a, a low-interest loan from the government. Like, so you can add in a year of education for less than eight or $9,000, and you don't even have to pay that right away. That just comes off your taxes over the years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, almost a no-brainer that you, like, especially as an Australian, you should be getting a bachelor's degree at the very least. And if, and and if you want to teach abroad, tack on that extra year for your teaching certification. Yeah. And, that and then you're set. So many doors. And also if you're a non-native speaker, quote unquote, cause there's plenty of native speakers. Like I would, you know, people from Singapore speak English very mm -hmm. well, but they don't count according to China. Uh, but if you are from one of those non-native speaker countries, if you're not from one of those seven countries I mentioned, and you are a certified teacher in your home country, you can teach at an international school in China. You so just I, can't teach English. You just, right? Yes. Yeah. You so you can teach other languages. languages. Or other, yeah, not other languages, other a, subjects. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had a Pakistani co-worker who was working legally um, at my school. He, was, uh, he had a PhD in biology, and he was teaching science. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, you know, his English was fine. I wouldn't have necessarily thought he could teach English, but he could teach the hell out of biology. Like he in was English. Qualified. Yeah. yeah. I worked really closely with a um, – like when I was a college counselor, most of our students came from this um, high school affiliated to Redmond University, which had a an international program. And a lot of the math teachers were from India. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend from Denmark teaching math and science to kids at an international school. So mm -hmm. if you are a certified teacher and you have two years of teaching experience, that is a great way to get around that native speaker requirement. Yeah, for sure. Huh. Well, I feel like we could talk on this subject forever. Um <laughs> But I think we're kind of running out of time at this point. But um, what is your, like, where can people find you? Where can people find your course? All that stuff. Promote your shit. <laughs> so um, if you're interested in just reading more about teaching abroad and, and travel in Asia, 
Um, you can find me at my blog, Adventures Around Asia. I really like rhyming and alliteration, I guess. <laughs> um, and I'm on social media. I'm pretty much every social media at Adventures Around Asia, except Twitter. Twitter is Adventures underscore Asia because of character yeah, limits. That's, but, why, uh, that's why we're <laughs> CWB podcast. Yeah. Because it uh, baggage. But if you are interested in learning more about teaching abroad in China specifically, and you want to learn more about my course and all of that, um, I definitely recommend signing up for I have a th free three-part video series training that you can just check out. Um, I think it'll be really helpful for you. It's teachabroadsquad.com slash training. So that'll take you to- And then it's, and so it's you can free. The first three are free? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so people uh, can get a taste. video series. Yeah, so you can get a taste, see if you like it, and then, you know, if you want to join the program after that, you can. If not, that's great. You've got three hours of training, <laughs> I guess two and a half hours of training for me. So. Nice. Well, screw that guy. I love the name, so don't yeah. listen to that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, great, awesome. And then I think we had a game we wanted to play real quick with you. Yeah, it's oh, your no. favorite game. It's We're your favorite do... game. What are we calling it? Uh, Visit, live, live flee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris played this with me a while back, and I, I was so bad. I so played hard. with uh, played it with her to test her, and it just made her so angry. So this is going to be good. <laughs> so, which is why he chose it for our game today. <laughs> yeah, you know. So here, I'm going to start. So, so it's it's visit, live, flee. All right, okay. we have China, mm -hmm. Japan, okay. Taiwan. Okay. No, that's yeah, so mean. Because <laughs> they're your three favorite countries. Go. That's not fair. She's, we're going to get hate mail because I said Taiwan was a country. So, oh, yeah. No, which I'm it from, is. Now everyone right. from China is going on in the podcast. Um, well, I would say live in Taiwan because that's my favorite country. And yes, it is a country. <laughs> it's my favorite country ever. Uh, oh, China versus Japan. Uh, There's some bad blood there. You can't live in all of them. <laughs> You have to avoid. You have to flee one. Of you them. have to flee one. That's so annoying. It's just due process of you have to just do process of elimination. I'll do I'll do visit Japan because I haven't spent as much time in Japan as I would like, and flee China because they're going to come after me now that they know I'm teaching illegally. <laughs> <laughs> but I am visiting China. Um, in like a like a month. In a, yeah, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So. Yeah, not this, this won't air before then. So yeah, you'll be safe. Be I, will safe. In, I will live in all of them. That's my final answer. All right, I think you've got one. Okay, yeah. I've got one. Yeah. So, I mean, you and I just met, so I didn't know. I was like having struggling picking this, but I know, given your guys' situation and everything, I figured these three. So I chose okay. USA, China, and Australia. Choose wisely. <laughs> That's a tough one. Live in China. No. <laughs> <laughs> to live unless I want to get a full-time job there like we've already actually talked about it because I was like wouldn't it be great if you could live in China again um but we would be probably living there on tourist visas and it would be really difficult mm -hmm. so I guess live in Australia Woo! visit China and flee, flee the US <laughs> oh your poor parents I like my family and everything but <laughs> but it's okay gun violence and yeah the shopping here is so good and Trader Joe's I will say nice. that the shopping in the U.S. it's like stitch fix that's like a game changer for me cool well did you have one more Chris I did uh cities this time okay so okay. live visit flee Beijing Shanghai Xi'an Ooh. those are all in China if you're playing at home <laughs> um 
<laughs> yeah, I, that all just went over my head. Really? I have not been to Asia, so like I don't know any of these places. I mean, I yeah. feel like Xi'an well, might throw some people. Yeah, Xi'an is where the well nearby where the terracotta warriors are, and it's a little bit more inland. It's like a it's China's ancient. It was ancient the original capital. capital yeah. yeah. Um, I love Xi'an. I think what I would do, I love Beijing. I've lived in Beijing for multiple years, but the government is ruining everything in Beijing. <laughs> I could just They uh, just keep bricking uh, everything up. Uh, they, all my favorite bars and restaurants just keep getting bricked up and I just it really upsets me. Oh, you like so, night markets? Sorry, we just got rid of the mall. <laughs> yeah. You like you like these little bargaining malls? Nope, done. Um <laughs> this this is your favorite bar? Oh, it's time to pick it up. Um so what I would do is probably live in Xi'an because Xi'an's amazing has such good food and oh, I haven't food. had the opportunity I studied abroad there actually um, but I haven't had the opportunity to live there so that would be cool and then visit Beijing because I love Beijing and will always love it despite the government <laughs> and flee Shanghai because Shanghai is a little overrated Shanghai's like <laughs> Shanghai is like every major city in Asia. It's, it's like Dubai solid. versus it's... Abu Dhabi. You know what I mean? It's just, it doesn't have, I mean, the, the back, Shanghai is cool. And if you're not, I mean, there's definitely elements of Chinese culture there, but it's very cosmopolitan. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived in Ningbo, which is very close to Shanghai. It's like two hours away. So I visited all the time and flew in and out of Shanghai, but I just wouldn't choose to live there personally. Well, you're, you're fleeing better. it. <laughs> and you're much better at this game this time. When I tried to play it with her last time, she was just like, oh, no, shut up. This is too hard. <laughs> the first question was hardest, for sure. The first question was mean. I know. That's why I chose it, because I need to get my – I need to get revenge for something. You can't You can't tell me to flee China when I'm like, hey, guys, you should teach abroad in China. Or I would flee it. <laughs> Context. I mean, choosing between those three countries, I can understand. Yeah, but for teaching abroad, I definitely think that China has by far the best market out of, of those three. Of those three? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for today. Um, thank you so much, Michelle. This is yeah, so much fun. Moving your chair across the office to sit next to me for a whole hour. Yeah. I know that must have been hard for you. This is so much information that's so useful. And I was completely ignorant about all of this. And I've learned so much. And so thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, I, I could talk about this forever. As yeah, I know. I was like looking at the time of the episode being like, <laughs> I still have so many more questions. But we, we, can do a second, we can do a second episode. Cool. Well, I think next week we're just going to have me and Chris. So hopefully we can uh, entertain you guys enough. And if you haven't already, please um, rate, review, subscribe on all of the, you know, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Tell your friends, share it on your socials and tell everybody why they should listen to us because we're awesome and you can learn so much, obviously. And um, our socials are, what's our Instagram? Uh, comes with baggage pod. Yep, and uh, Twitter is CWB Podcast, and we're also on Facebook as Comes With Baggage Podcast. Yeah, and uh, you can also go to our website, comeswithbaggagepodcast.com. Um, if you guys have any questions or feedback or any of that, just send us messages on those channels, or you can email us at comeswithbaggagepodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you next week. Take care, guys. <laughs>